Well, good evening, church. Welcome to our Sunday night teaching time. We're in the middle, well, not in the middle, we're actually just launching into a study, renewed in the spirit of your mind, knowing how the life of God gets inside. And I want to start tonight with two texts, and the title I'm giving to this teaching is The Necessity of the Holy Spirit for Spiritual Thinking. Sometimes, especially in in, uh, strongly charismatic circles, uh, you can get the idea that the Holy Spirit, the biggest thing the Holy Spirit does is some kind of second blessing, being filled with the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit in the church. And we think of all sorts of supernatural manifestations of the Spirit that certainly are talked about in the New Testament. But, But there's something much more fundamental than that. The most important thing... The most important thing the Holy Spirit does in your life and in my life is what we're going to study tonight. And it has to do with how we understand spiritual truth. I have two texts. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 to 14, and then Romans 8, 5 to 6. I'm going to read them both. So first, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. That's a big sentence. No one comprehends the thoughts of God. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Capital S here. 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why did we receive this Spirit? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this, Paul says, we impart this in words. He taught them. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, notice, not the wicked person, just the natural person without the Spirit of God. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Interesting. They are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them. We have to to look at that. He is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit has to bring understanding of spiritual truth. Now, look at Romans 8, 5 and 6. Same subject, but a bit of a different emphasis. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, there's the mind again, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Doesn't mean wicked things. The, the, the visible stuff, the material stuff, this world all around us that you can get at with the five senses. That's where they focus their attention. That's where they set their minds. But those who live according to the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Here's the problem. To set the mind on the flesh is death. There's no spiritual life there. But to set the mind on the Spirit, capital S, is life 
and peace. Those are enormous biblical texts. And we're going to take four thoughts that I want to try and delve into, but just a bit more introduction. Two Sunday nights ago, we, we kind of considered this important question. What is the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian, or Paul's terms, the spiritual person and the natural person? Same thing. What's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian right now in this present world? I don't mean when they die. I don't mean at the judgment seat. I don't mean in some eternal state. I mean today, right now, visibly in this present age. What's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? And we found Paul's answer in that text from 1 Corinthians 2. The big difference is the way the natural person, the unsaved person, the way that person and the spiritual person, the Christian, the difference is the way they respond to spiritual truth. Now, both can understand the content. They can read the doctrines. They can understand the sentences. Both could even agree with much of it. But, says Paul, in that 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person, the unsaved person, he doesn't accept. That's one word that he uses. He doesn't embrace. The other word he uses is he doesn't really comprehend. He doesn't mean that he can't read the doctrine of creation and, and see what the Bible says about it. He doesn't mean that he can't do that, but he can't make that truth matter to him. He's powerless to do that. He's not excited toward those things. Spiritual truth doesn't land on the natural person with weight. Maybe the best way to say it is the natural person is not deeply affected by spiritual truth. Talk to him about his investments. He's animated. He's interested. He's involved. It matters to him. Talk to him about recreation. Talk to him about his hobbies. Talk about a trip coming up, a holiday coming up, and he lights up. Talk to him about his ambitions, his plans, his goals. He gets excited. He can't get enough of what he loves. His mind is naturally inclined to those things. But the things of the Spirit, even if he knows about them, even if he's been in church, they don't impact him. Now, Paul's whole point in these discussions, it's to to point out and underscore, we need the Holy Spirit to do this work in our lives. Only the Holy Spirit can help us see the importance of spiritual truth. Only the Holy Spirit can help us to sense its transforming power, to excite the heart. That's what we mean when we have this big kind of general topic of spiritual growth. This is what we're talking about. Paul explains, we're talking now about the the ongoing, usually gradual process by which spiritual truths gain weight and momentum in our hearts. It it isn't an all-at-once thing. We're constantly moving as the Holy Spirit works. That's what we mean by spiritual growth. We're being pulled in that direction. Paul explains why this is so in 1 Corinthians 2.11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? 
So also, in the same way, no one comprehends the thoughts of God. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, you might not always take the time to analyze that whole process. But the fact is, your thoughts, what's going on inside your head, all of us, they create an inward uh, life that sort of drives the rest of all that we do. You, you dream dreams. You imagine things. You plan plans. You can, you can picture things in your mind with incredible vividness and power. I mean, your inward thoughts, they create an inward reality that only you know about. Nobody else can see what's going on in your heart, on in your, what's going on in your mind. No one else knows. A thousand things happen every day that do affect your life. But because you don't think about them, you don't ponder them, you don't even remember them, they don't, they don't matter to you very much. You only mentally dwell on what's important to you. There are things that don't just happen to you the way, for example, your lungs work in breathing. I mean, you do it all day long, but you don't think about it. Your digestive system, it works all day long. You don't think about it. There are some things that you intentionally play, though, on the screen of your mind. They, they become a part of you. You, you. you picture, you plan, you imagine, you see things, and you dwell on those things. They motivate you. Paul says, there, Don, that's what the Holy Spirit does, but he does it with spiritual things, spiritual truth, spiritual realities. He pulls you into these things. The Holy Spirit implants the things of God in a way that is important to you, in a way that you sense the weight of them. That's the nature of the work of the Holy Spirit that we're going to study tonight. What is it that the Holy Spirit does to change our lives with spiritual truth? I have four thoughts, okay? One, the Holy Spirit brings about a direct understanding of inward spiritual truth. I, I know that might sound complicated, but listen to it while I explain the difference. There are external spiritual truths and internal spiritual truths. The natural man can have the former, but never the latter. Here's what I mean, okay? External spiritual truths are like um, the doctrine of creation, the creation of the world. External spiritual truth would be the history of the people of Israel, God's work through that nation. An external spiritual truth would be proving the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, his resurrection from the dead, or the history of the early church all through the book of Acts. My point is anybody can pick up a Bible, read those things, and see what the Bible says about those things. An atheist can do it if he wants. You simply study, analyze, recognize the data, and learn it. But there are other spiritual truths that aren't like that. For example, the beauty of holiness. 
How are you going to learn that? The repulsiveness of sin. The danger of worldliness. Church doesn't even use the term much anymore. The joy of communion with the Holy Spirit. Uh, An excited anticipation of the second coming of Jesus. See, those aren't just truths you learn in your head, like the doctrine of creation. The, the beauty of holiness, the anticipation of the second coming, the ugliness of sin. Those, those are truths that only the Holy Spirit can take off the page and bring them to life in your heart. The natural person can only hear about those things. He only sees the he only sees the outside of the Christian life. He can only know these things as ideas, not as an inward experience. So he has, the natural person has a knowledge of description when it comes to these truths, but an inward feeling, the weight of these things can only be brought about by the Spirit of God. Now, that this is what Paul means is obvious from our text. First, Corinthians 2.14, where he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He is not able to understand them. See, he repeats this three times. He's not able to understand them because, he says, they are those kinds of things, those inward spiritual truths, like the beauty of holiness, the joy of the Lord, those things are only conveyed by the Holy Spirit. They are spiritually discerned, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The NASB, the New American Standard, beautifully actually says those things are spiritually appraised. That's a great word. I can't make myself appraise, prize, sense the worth of spiritual realities. It's only the Holy Spirit who can help me to appraise those things properly to see glory in those things. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I know this isn't light, fluffy teaching. Let me try to shed a little bit more light on the same subject from a different angle. Point number two. The Holy Spirit creates an awareness of truths that lie for now beyond the realm of the five physical senses. Seems to me that's absolutely key to the kind of spiritual understanding that Paul describes in our text. I mean, what marks the natural man's perception of reality is primarily that his thinking is geared to temporal things, material things. What his five senses can deal with is real. What isn't measurable by his five senses, that, that's unimportant. But understand, it's not that all natural people deny that which lies beyond their immediate senses. Many will agree with many things that the Bible says, either their church, their upbringing in a Christian home. It's it's kind of taught them to agree with the things in the Bible, but but they aren't impacted by spiritual things. They they 
even if they hold certain doctrinal truths in their mind, they live their lives as though those doctrinal truths aren't very important. They can't help it. That's the most important point. The natural person, the unsaved person, whatever he professes to believe, and he might profess a lot, but he still makes this present world the highest object of his attention, his priorities, his mental work. Whatever else he professes to believe, he he prioritizes his life around the things of this world. Now, remember the question we looked at a couple weeks ago. What is the difference between the saved person and the unsaved person right now, before they die, while they live in this present world? And here's a key part of the answer. When the Holy Spirit truly regenerates, saves, when a person is born again, converted, whatever term you want to use, that person has been, Colossians 1.13, Paul says, transferred transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Actually, the apostle Peter, he, he, he talks about the experience of conversion and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in an even more vivid way. If you want to look it up, it's in 1 Peter 1, 6 to 9. Look what Peter says. He's writing to Christians now, okay? In this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. A lot of persecution they're suffering for their faith. Verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ when Jesus comes again. Now, look what he says now. Here's the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, remember, the natural person lives by the five senses. Peter writes to these spiritual people, these Christians, and he says, though you have not seen him, you haven't seen Jesus yet, you love him. How did that happen? They've never seen him. They can't see him. Their eyes, their physical eyes don't help them one bit. And and yet, Peter says, you love him. Though you, though you do not see him, you believe in him. And it's not just intellectual. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Look, filled with glory. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. You can't work that up. The Christian loves supremely something he hasn't yet seen with his eyes. The Holy Spirit has already, Paul says, transferred the Christian into another kingdom. The writer of Hebrews says this is what the life of faith is all about. Faith lives presently, deeply affected by future realities. I was looking at that in, in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the assurance. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things, remember, not seen. This isn't the work of the physical senses. 
And then he gives us this example, the writer of Hebrews. He talks about Moses and proves his point. That's in Hebrews 11, 24 to 27. The text says, Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, the point of those references, I gave you several, is this. The natural person, he may profess this kind of focus on unseen spiritual realities, but he can't sustain it. Unseen spiritual realities might be acknowledged. He might say he believes in them. He might agree with what he reads in the Bible, but they don't impact his life. He can't make them impact his life. Point number three. The Holy Spirit opens the heart to perceive uh, the beauty and the preciousness of spiritual truths. I said before, even if he mentally agrees with biblical truths, the natural person, the unsaved person, he can only, he can only perceive them in the way, for example, a blind person can learn about color. I mean, a blind person can know the names of all the colors on the spectrum. He might be able to explain how the different uh, wavelengths of reflected light create each tone, each shade. But, but for all that information, it's not the same as, as gazing at a golden sunset over the Pacific Ocean. That's the knowledge of experience, not just the knowledge of description. The natural person can only learn of spiritual truth in a in an intellectual manner, in a detached manner. He can't be moved by the beauty of spiritual things. The spiritual person in which the Holy Spirit works, he's, he's drawn into them. He's drawn into spiritual truths. That's really a very accurate phrase. Look at some of the descriptions of a spiritual heart. Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. This isn't just knowledge, this is desire. Look at Psalm 143, 5 and 6. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like in a parched land. I think you see the point. How obsessed is a person dying of thirst? How obsessed for water is that person? He's not doing a chemical analysis of water. He's not going to be refreshed because you can tell him it's H2O, hydrogen and oxygen. He's not even agreeing that water is good for you. He's thirsty. He's driven to water. That's what the Holy Spirit does with spiritual truths. 
Jesus said it, Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, not just believe in righteousness or admire righteousness or can quote the Sermon on the Mount. No, no, no. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They're driven toward it. Not one of those verses. I did read three of them. There are scores of others. But not one of those passages is merely talking about understanding spiritual truth. Not one of those verses is even talking about agreeing with spiritual truth, truth revealed in the word. No, the point is there's deep longing, desire, hunger. More, more to be desired are they than gold, the psalmist said of the things of God. See, that, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, 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 he switches affections. Point number four. This just makes sense, too, as we're wrapping up. In a spiritual person where the Holy Spirit is working, the Holy Spirit brings an awakened distaste and abhorrence of all that is impure and ungodly. I need to look at this for a minute. To talk about it is to be branded as a legalist. I'm not. Somehow, somehow, the spirit of the age, the culture around us has successfully hidden a powerful and obvious truth. He's hidden it from many people in the church. I'm going to state it in just a minute, but I just want to say first that there's Probably no truth that is logically more obvious, yet more avoided than the point I'm about to make. It's so obvious that only the work of the devil could blind our eyes to it. And here's the point. If all that we've been saying is true, if it is the work of the Holy Spirit to cause spiritual people in whom the Holy Spirit lives if it's his work to cause them to find beauty, joy, delight, if it's his work to draw them into the things of the Spirit, then it must also be the work of the Holy Spirit to cause those same people to see ugliness in unholiness, even even culturally accepted unholiness, even culturally promoted unholiness. It would have to be the work of the Holy Spirit if his, if his work is to draw us into admiring what is spiritual and holy and pure, the same Holy Spirit would help us reject things that are abhorrent and ugly and sinful. We would see ugliness in things that the natural person sees no ugliness in at all. Think of all the songs we sing on any given Sunday about the beauty of holiness, about how much we love God, about how much we love spiritual things, about how much we hunger after the Lord. But we've got a whole generation singing all these lovely worship songs, a whole generation that doesn't shun unholiness. How can that be? I mean, you can't, Love something genuinely 
and love its opposite. You can't love holiness and also love what destroys holiness. It's simply impossible. If I offer no resistance at all to uh, an easy attachment to the unholy things of this world, then I can't honestly say I have a heart turned toward the beauty of God and spiritual things. Jesus said, you just can't serve two masters like that. It won't work. Church, I'm not making that up. Let me put the same idea in the words of the Apostle John. He's saying exactly what we're talking about. In 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. Why not? If, here's the reason, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the same thing, same idea. I can't love exclusive opposites. I can certainly say I love chocolate and I love turnips. Seems unreasonable, but I can certainly say that because one does not exclude the other. You can love chocolate and you can love turnips. But I can't say I love light. I crave light. Oh, yeah, and I also love total darkness. Or I love health. I crave health, but I also, you know what? I really like sickness. It's like, in what meaningful sense can I love light if I love the darkness that eliminates that light? And as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts, and as he awakens our taste for the beauty and joy and acceptance, drawing us into spiritual things, we will... At the same time, in direct proportion to the work of the Holy Spirit drawing us into the beauty of holiness, we will shun and abhor all that is contrary to holiness. It has to be that way. How many times on any given Sunday, in song, in prayer, in praise, do you tell the Lord you love him? That's good. I tell the Lord I love him on a Sunday. Not just Sunday, but I do on Sunday. Worship together. I sit right down there in that front seat. I try to sincerely express my love for the Lord and let him know how much I love him. Now, how do I know if I really do? Anybody can say they love the Lord. There's only one way to know for sure whether I love the Lord. Do I hate all that is contrary to him? That's the only way I prove my love is genuine. When the Holy Spirit, through the word, through sermons, through Christian friends, through godly parents, or just your own prayerful meditation, when he speaks and tells you something that is contrary to Father God's revealed will, what's your immediate response? That will show whether you love the Lord. Or do you try to do the impossible? Do you try and love two opposites at the same time? I love the Lord and I, I love what he's opposed to. Can't do it. He can't do it. We're right at the junction now between this teaching and next Sunday night's teaching. But I want close with that question because 
The Bible presses the issue of spiritual life in a direction of kind of a fork in the road. We read the only two options. We read them at the beginning of this, uh, of this teaching, and I'm wrapping up now. Romans 8, 6. To set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit, capital S, is life and peace. It's not an impossible choice to make. And when you do, you're setting your life in the right direction. We'll continue with this more. The role of the Holy Spirit in setting the direction of our thoughts, understanding spiritual truth, not academically. Atheists can understand the Bible academically. But so that spiritual truth starts to matter to us in a way that drives us to the Lord and pushes us away from all that is contrary to him. Then you know you've got the real article. That's the difference, by the way, between the Christian and the non-Christian in this present age. We'll stay with this next Sunday night. Let's pray. We would never know any of this were it not for your word. This is not something we figure out by ourselves. Thank you for divine revelation. Thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit who causes us not just to see the print on the page, to understand the sentences, to get the meaning, but then after that, the Holy Spirit comes and causes us to love what we see in your word and to hate all that is contrary to it. Oh, Lord, at Cedarview Community Church, help us never to settle for any kind of Christianity that is below this, any fake spirituality. Let it be the real deal. Let it be the work of your spirit in our hearts, transforming us into the likeness of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Don't forget about Wednesday, 7 o'clock, right here at the church. We'll be studying, wrapping up that study on the book of Judges. We'd love to see you at 7 o'clock. There's children's ministries. God bless you, church. Love one another.